welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. Uh, the weather in the Northeast this week, it's been spectacular. It's beautiful outside. Spring has sprung, or at least it feels like it. And my wife's tulips are starting to you see the little green shoots coming up. I'm like, yes, it's spring. Okay, so I'm happy. <laughs> Man, lucky you. Uh, we've had pretty fantastic weather the last couple of days, too, here in Arizona. But it's, it's starting to go a little downhill at the end of the week. We're getting some showers tonight and throughout the day tomorrow. So for the first time in probably months, I think tomorrow you'll have better weather than I do. Well, it's nonlinear. We'll have our setbacks. Just like prospect yes. development is nonlinear, right? See how I work that in? <laughs> yes, and from there we will transition into – no, no. We <laughs> I wish I wish our segue was that clean. But we do have a lot of really interesting topics this episode. We're, we're finding some really interesting things to talk about, despite there not being as much news. Uh, we will get to the news a little bit later in the show. First, we're going to be discussing – spring training a little bit and what kind of impact that might have on trade values. Uh, then we'll kind of get into a bit of a continuation of a popular sort of, I don't know if you want to call it a series, a popular segment we've done in the past where we take a look at some of the trade proposals from our dear friends, <laughs> the reporters, the sports journalists who don't always have their ear quite as close on the trade values as they should. Then we'll get into the news and then trade of the week. And then we'll wrap up the segment that we started last week about the players who should have been traded. But before all of that, John, the site updates went live. What do you, what do you have to share with with our listeners yeah so the next time you come to the site folks you'll see um in particular the most noticeable and visible change you'll see is with the upvoting and downvoting it's no longer generic it's now by team so if you <clears throat> propose a trade you'll see one side of the team has a yes or no and the other side of the, uh, the trade has a yes or no or up or, up or down let's say and um so i'm eager to hear people's feedback it just launched a couple hours ago uh, I think it looks pretty spiffy, but that's just me. If everyone hates it, we'll change. But uh, so far, so one one regular has said, yeah, it looks great. So we'll, we'll take that. Uh, so that's one change, I think the most visible one. Another one um, that is not as visible, but sometimes can be important is when you're including cash in a trade, you can now use decimals and it will show up right. So you don't have to round down to one or two. You can use 1.3 or 1.7 or whatever you want. Uh, so that's live. <clears throat> Um, we've fixed a big sort of thing that was um, causing some problems with, you know how there's, um, we had this, what we called the 50% rule, which is if there's a star player in a trade who's worth a lot of trade value, uh, Jose Ramirez, for example, who's I think 81 or so, the requirement would be at least one of the players coming back on the other side had to be at least uh, 50% of that value, like somewhere in the forties, like Drew Waters just barely made it. So all of the um, trade proposals you know, we're structured that way. And they, um, you know, particularly for these higher value players, we've removed that rule entirely. <clears throat> no. So the idea was they would, it was more realistic, but we found that sometimes that limited our flexibility and your flexibility. So situations like the, the Clevenger trade, for example, last summer, yeah, where he was worth around 38 at a time and he got like six back that, you know, that not normal, but it's also okay to have six back. We do still have a limit on like the ratio. You know, I think it's one to six. And then if you add more, it keeps going up. So two to seven or three to eight. But we're no longer stipulating that one player has to be worth 50% of the other. So that gives us a little more flexibility. And then finally, there were some bugs, bug fixes, um, things like cash 
taking being taken from the wrong team in a three-way trade which people complained about uh, understandably so we fixed that as well so a few things some of them are small but noticeable so hopefully hopefully this had to work better <clears throat> yeah correct if, correct me if i'm wrong but outside of general you know site loading speeds which we're always working to improve i think the upvote downvote system was the one that we maybe got the most feedback on yeah. on saying this isn't perfect we could do a little bit better so we've made that change as john said very very excited to hear what you guys think about these changes we want to hear feedback please uh, leave us any input and then um, as far as the the decimal point dollar values on trades that's something that uh that's something that i really appreciate at both of us we've been putting the trades through on the site as they as they happen in real time and I get a little, it's not a big deal. It's very clearly never a big deal. But when there's 0.25 in cash headed one way and we have to put it as a one, that just bothered me a little bit. So it's, nice, it's a nice little yeah. change. And yeah, exactly. As, as far as the 50% rule, the intentions there were good and natural. And I'd say much more often than not, that rule is going to be not maybe not intentionally followed as saying, explicitly this is what we need in a trade but it'll just happen to be followed just because that's how trades tend to be structured but it, i agree it's not necessarily a, a rule that we need on the site if it's going to be causing some problems with the negative value it, it'll it'll be relatively self-policing we all know at this point that you're not going to trade 10 1 million dollar players for one 10 million dollar player that's yeah. not how it works anybody who knows what they're talking about even a little bit knows that's not how it works so i think it'll be self-policing those kinds of proposals will get kind of they'll get downvoted into oblivion so yeah and, and that's about it as much. exactly and to your point that's that's another reason why we had confidence that it was the right thing to do because we have a very smart crowd <clears throat> you know all you guys who come to the site you know you seem to know what you're talking about so you know when we first launched the site we didn't know what we were going to get so we thought we would sort of like help it along a little bit you know to make it more realistic but now we realize we don't need we can take the training wheels off you're, you guys are good so and we've we've certainly had our share of those weird ones especially near the beginning i yeah. remember there's plenty of those uh, i'm gonna package albert Pujols with mike trout type things before we, <laughs> before we really got our footing there and kind of yeah. sorted out what we were doing over there yeah uh, but I agree. You guys, you guys all know what you're doing as well as we do, so we don't need to babysit or anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so as always, please love to hear your feedback there, and we do have more site updates coming in the short and long-term future, so keep an eye out for those. We'll keep you updated when they come. Now let's transition into a topic that I just want to discuss for a few minutes here. Now that we're a couple weeks into spring training, we're actually starting to get some full nine inning games from teams. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a conversation every year about whether spring training stats matter and what stats do matter. And there's always people that make too big a deal out of what happens in the actual games, which I think we've all agreed. Like nobody cares who actually wins, except for maybe maybe if you go to a game in person, <laughs> it's a little bit more fun if your team wins. But otherwise, we know it doesn't matter. We've we've come to a general consensus on that. But there will always be people that are making a bigger deal out of individual stat lines and things like that. And so I think that naturally in our field leads to the question of whether spring training has an impact on trade values at all. 
And first, before before I let you kind of give your take on that, I want to mention the obvious, very obvious situations, such as injuries, of course. <laughs> it doesn't matter when in the year an injury happens. It's going to affect a player's value if they're going to be missing significant time, or even if they're even if it is in the offseason and they might not miss any season time, it affects their injury risk going forward. So injuries are always going to affect a player's, uh, a player's trade value. And then on... I, I would wager that in in the vast vast majority of regular cases spring performance won't matter unless it's either something absolutely uh, some absolute absurd extreme of a, a guy like let's say Pete Alonso in spring training was suddenly striking out 60% of the time or something crazy like that that would that would most likely be related to an injury or something making something that ridiculous happen uh but i think we'd have to take some level of notice there and then on the edge cases some of these uh some of these roster risk fringe type guys that are holding on to 40 man spots maybe out of options i'm thinking of a player like dustin fowler where you know it's kind of make or break and so if they do play well that maybe that makes them a little bit more feasible to land on a roster and if they don't play well then that tanks their value even further uh so do you have anything to add there a little bit. I mean, first of all, I agree uh, with your general point. I mean, for the most part, no, it's not going to affect, um, you know, for, for the most part, guys are just working, especially the veterans are just, you know, it's called spring training because it is training. Mm-hmm. So the pitchers are working on their pitchers. The hitters are working on their timing. It shouldn't, you know, stats should, should not be taken seriously because they're not fighting for a job typically. What might matter a little bit is the guys in the fringes, to your point, who are, in fact, trying to land a job or impress the manager. You know, it's just, I mean, they may be minor leaguers, but they might take advantage of the fact, you know, they tend to get playing time early on in spring training because the veterans are being sort of taken up more slowly. And, the, you know, that sort of shifts towards the back half of March where the veterans start to get more playing time. So early on is the time for these prospects to shine when they get opportunities. And once in a while, you'll see a guy that's ah, turning heads or a relief pitcher who's blowing people away. Like you didn't like, you know, you, you never heard of that guy. Like Anthony Bender's name came up I'm like, oh, he's turning heads. Um, and so you know but that's a very sort of unusual and minor i shouldn't say unusual but but those are the exceptions rather than the rules so it's typically not anything significant and especially since it's a small sample size and a small sample size in a non-competitive game where no one's taking it all that seriously except for those fringe guys trying to make rosters to your point the the dustin fowlers and other guys who are trying to earn their job they may be out of options um you know uh, it's probably more um the negative uh, it's probably more um, significant than the positive in a sense like, in, you know, your example, for example, was hypothetical, of course, Pete Alonso is doing fine. But let's say a guy came in like 30 pounds overweight and he's really not looking good at all. And you're like, oh, no, you know, that could be a factor. Uh, but most guys are coming in best shape of their lives, as they always say. Um, so it, it doesn't seem to be a thing. I, I will say also that um, yeah, injuries do matter. You know, we've had some reports lately the last couple of days of guys going down with um you know, getting Tommy John surgery, like Forrest Whitley, for example, he was think the Astros were thinking he might be able to help the big league club this year. Obviously, not that's not going to happen. So we've had to dock him because of that. And a couple of the relievers on the Angels had TJS. So those things matter, obviously, as they would any time. Um, you know, so I w- I would agree with you. Um, we we take it with a grain of salt for the most part if we're hearing a little bit of buzz on somebody even then you have to take it with a grain of salt like mm-hmm. you know somebody gets hot and hits a bunch of home runs 
okay, but it is spring training, and they may be facing, like, you know, a journeyman non-roster reliever, too, you know? So, like, you can't really go too much with that. Um, so, um, you know, but I think one last point. I think you have to watch, as we always do, have to watch the front office moves and who they're deciding to, to give a little more playing time to, who they're mm-hmm. not. You know, if there's, you know, right now we're at the point where we're seeing a lot of guys sort of now, each team is starting to make the first round of cuts. You know, like 13 guys are being optioned to AAA or whatever. Um, so, you know, those guys are not in the mix anyway. Even if they might have had some positive developments, they're they're clearly not making the team. But guys who stuck around a little bit longer, maybe they turned ahead. So we might keep an, a little bit eye on that. So, but we're not made, making any any significant changes to the site's values because of anything we've seen so far. Yeah, I think if if there is anything at all to even assign any level of value to, and even then it's probably a pretty pretty light <laughs> light value there, is uh, strikeouts and walks, plate discipline. I believe that's one of the first uh, one of the first things to stabilize. And so I'm not saying in every case, okay, this if their plate discipline is better than normal, then they're in line for a breakout or anything like that. But that can be that can stabilize a little bit quicker than other stats. And then something that's just easy to see, like pitcher velocity. If a guy's up three ticks from the last time we saw him, then that's pretty significant. Now we're not going to go ahead and double his value because he's up three ticks because maybe the next that he was just hot or the gun was hot or something. And the next time he goes out there, he's back to normal, but that's at least something that's pretty easy to see in front of us and say, this isn't necessarily a case of guys working on stuff or he's facing, he, he struck out six batters because they're all double a players. Like if, if he's throwing 96 and he used to throw 93, then that's pretty significant no matter what. Um, on that point, I wouldn't be too surprised if we see a handful more names kind of pop up this year than we would in previous years, just because we have so much less information to go off of, uh, given the lack of a minor league season last year. And, and we got looks at a bunch of guys through Instructs, through Winter League. So a lot of top prospects, all the prospect hounds are already all over them. The ones that are on the rise, they've already kind of tabbed. Those are the Hudson Head types. Um, but but there's always the chance here of some, you know, career minor league type that really worked on something in the year off and his fastball comes up a couple ticks or he has a new pitch and it's just this wipeout slider or something like that. And so those are things to keep an eye on. But it's again, it's nothing that's going to significantly impact anybody's value unless it is a significant injury. Yeah. One last point I want to make is just be careful. Well, yeah. Uh, don't take the journalists too seriously because they're all filing stories and trying to make, you know, and the, their editors are saying, go find an interesting story. So there's all, every team has like, oh, where'd this guy come from? Oh, look, he's a sleeper and he's, you know, a guy to keep your eye on, you know, and, and they're looking for a story angle. Typically, it doesn't necessarily mean the data is there or like this, it's a real breakout. It's just, okay, it might be an interesting story, mm-hmm. sure, but it doesn't mean he's going to be significantly valued now. And you'll see those a lot on those kind of, minor league free agent non-roster invite types that you haven't heard of in a couple of years. I remember some of those by Susan Cro- uh, Susan Slesser, who's a fantastic writer. Uh, a couple springs ago, she did one of those on Andrew Lambeau or Slade Heathcott about how they're yeah. ready to turn the corner, and that clearly didn't happen <laughs> because they're still Andrew Lambeau and Slade Heathcott. Yeah. But, so that that's a very good point there to kind of be wary. <laughs> Keep yeah. in mind that, especially now more than ever, journalists are kind of working with what they can get and trying to find some of those human interest stories a little bit more and so maybe sometimes they're letting the human interest story bleed into 
this could mean success on the field, and it usually doesn't. Right. Okay, so if you, if you have any questions along those lines, feel free to shoot them our way, and we'll discuss them on the next show. But now we need to get to this article that you sent me, John. <sighs> so I... This is a little bit frustrating in more ways than one. First of all, because it's The Athletic. And I, that's that's probably my favorite publication going right now. I think what they do is just excellent. They produce some of the best stories we've seen in years. Um, whether, whether it is more data-driven, what happens on the field stories, or some of those personal uh, human interest stories that are super fascinating. Or if, it's, or if it's breaking news, they've done a great job of that. And they even started something pretty interesting. And it's something that MLB.com and some other outlets have done as well, but not to the same extent, of having beat writers kind of negotiate a trade with each other. Uh, so so in this case that we're discussing right here, it's Nick Groke and Jamie Newberg discussing a potential trade between the Rangers and the Rockies. And they've done this in the past. These two paired up to discuss Nolan Arenado to the Rangers last offseason. So that's 2019 to 2020 offseason. And they mention here in the article that Rockies fans at the time were pretty disappointed by the return. But it seems like they actually overestimated ultimately what the Arenado return would be, the beat writers did, which which tracks. And I'll give them some credit there. Even if, even if they were, first of all, it was a year ago. But second, so there's an, another year on Arnado's contract of value there, and before he really struggled and had the injury in 2020. Uh, but I will give them some credit there of at least missing in the right direction here. Um, I, I think that's that has some value for them to recognize. Hey, Arnado's value is a little lower than the average fan would think, and we're gonna kind of we're, we're fine committing to that idea. And even if they didn't go all the way with it, like we might have. Uh, I respect them for getting that right. But then they turned around, and in these discussions for Trevor's story, oh boy, they, they, they got it very wrong. So, yeah. so the initial premise here is the Rangers potentially trading for Trevor's story now that the Rockies are kind of clearing shop here. Story has a year of team control left. Um, he's from Texas, so that's that's kind of the main main impetus here is that he's from texas maybe he'll sign an extension there because obviously the rangers don't plan on contending in 2021 Um, and then also the motivation of trading for him before opening day so that they can still offer him a qualifying offer at the end of the year if they don't extend him and at least get a draft pick back so that's i think that's a bit of a flimsy baseline i don't the rangers are far from my first choice for a trevor story location landing spot but i can at least squint and see what's there the problem comes with them comparing it to the Arenado package and, to a lesser extent, to the Francisco Lindor package. Yeah. And this gets into something that you've mentioned a lot, John, when we have these discussions, where writers are more looking for fits and matching positions than they are looking for value. And so throughout this article, they're kind of talking about how, oh, in the Lindor trade, which, like, obviously, there's, there's a direct comparison there between Lindor and Story. We have Story a little bit higher, but it's it's a fair comparison to make between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're saying the Lindor trade had Carrasco in it, which means this return might be a little lesser, which is potentially true to some extent. 
Uh, but then they're also saying like, okay, in Lindor trade, you get this type of player, this type of player, this type of player, this type of player. So we're going to match that with the closest thing we can match from the Rangers system. And it, right. it, it starts out with the basic premise of, okay, there's a shortstop headlighting Lindor deal, Andres Jimenez. So uh, let's let's trade the most tradable shortstop in the Rangers system. That's Anderson mm-hmm. Tejeda. Mm-hmm. But those two players are nowhere near each other in terms of value. It's just they're <clears> both yeah. within their organization the top shortstop prospect. And so mm-hmm. that's the first big spot where this all falls apart. Mm-hmm. I, I don't <sighs> know if you want to hop in there. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, I, I struggle with the premise, you know, it, Trevor's story to the Rangers. The Rangers are clearly in rebuilding mode. They're not going to be competitive this year. They know it. Everyone knows it. So they're not going to use it. <laughs> yeah, they don't. I mean, the, the whole point is, oh, because he's from Texas and there's a fit there. It's just so <laughs> I can't I can't get behind the whole premise for for one thing. Um, like, you know, there's not really a team outside of the Reds that needs a shortstop upgrade. They're pretty much all filled right now unless somebody goes down with an injury. Um, you know, and yes, I can squint and say, okay, maybe the Rangers want to sign him long term, so they're jumping the market by a year, but that's uh, that's a stretch. Um, okay, so that's problem number one. It's a big one. Problem number two, uh, all the points you just made. Um, but look, you know, we exist because there's a gap in the marketplace where people struggle with trying to match up values, and that's the that's the value that that's what we bring to the table. Look, here's the fairest values we can we have estimates for. We're generally pretty close. Um, I, by the way, wanted to thank a couple of guys in the comments to this story who, uh, who mentioned us uh, uh, for that reason, and I appreciated that. Um, <clears throat> you know, in fact, um, one guy, Dan W., he got our name wrong, but he said, Major League Trade Values, Trevor, at plus $30 million in four, four seasons, blah, blah, blah. The next guy commented, Brian T., said, it should be required that every trade article provides the breakdown of values from baseballtradevalues.com as a re- reality check. Not saying they are gospel, but they get it really close the vast majority of the time. Thank you, Brian T. That's exactly what we would have said. <laughs> <laughs> so, and 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 um, you know, so you know, we haven't really marketed ourselves because we're relying on all of you guys to kind of spread the word. And if you feel so inclined to do so, as Brian T. and Dan W. here have, so we appreciate that. Um, hopefully, in time, we can help these struggling writers with a better sense of value. But for now, our point is they're way off, as you can see, as you get into the specifics of these deals. Yeah, we've we've long stressed that we are not perfect. We're never going to be perfect, and we're not claiming to be perfect. We're, we're trying our best with, with what data is available to us, and that's always going to be the best we can do. We're always working to improve. So we're not, we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to have our misses, but we're also 1000% confident in saying that we're closer than proposals like this. Yes. We, we are 1000% confident that these don't happen. We're we're still, we're still kind of on the first proposal here, which is somehow not as bad as the second one here that they couldn't (laughs) agree to, but that they couldn't agree to for a very different reason, which we'll get to. Um, but just just by the values here, so we haven't gone through all the players in this deal yet. Um, we should probably do that first of all. So the first proposal that they kind of came to here was Trevor Story going to the Rangers. We had him at thirty. We have him at thirty point eight million in trade value, which is a, a very significant number for a one-year player. Um, 
and also seven and a half million dollars in cash what? headed to what? the Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to help I understand from from just the balancing the financials perspective of maybe the Rangers don't want to add seventeen and a half million, so yeah. pulled that down to ten. But you've gotta increase the return yeah. in accordance with that, and they clearly did not because yeah. their the return here is barely half of Story's value alone, let alone the seven and a half million. Yeah. It's Anderson Tejeda, who is at twelve point eight million in trade value. Uh, Tyler Phillips, a right-handed pitcher, at one point three. First baseman Blaine Krim at one point one, and right-handed pitcher AJ Alexi also at one point one. So that's just kind of a, it's a middling prospect and three real fringe guys who maybe. Maybe you squint and see a little something, but not not a whole lot of value there. Yeah. And so that that comes out to 16.3 in trade value compared to 30.8 for Story alone, or 38.3 for Story and the money. 16 against 38 in total is what was they're proposing. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things you notice here is that when they after they talk about Tejeda and they don't know what his value is, obviously. But then they get into the other three guys, and they think they're more valuable than they actually are. They're both sort of bottom-ish, you know, fringy prospects. Well, all three of them are sort of fringy in the ones, right? And so prospect value, as we've explained before, is, you know, it it follows a power law where the the ones at the top are significantly higher and the ones at the bottom sort of get closer and closer to zero. And most people don't understand that. So the lower-level prospects are going to be in the ones. And so they're they're imagining that they're going to – that these are all somehow the same, like they're all in the six to seven or eight ranger, I'm just guessing. But somehow they're higher valued than than they actually are, and that's an important point. Yeah, and kind of when they get into that there with some of these secondary pieces – uh, so this is this is Newberg here. He says so. First he goes through Tejeda and why he makes sense, and and to an extent, I I agree. If if they were trading for Story, Tejeda in the package makes some sense. Yeah. Not that trading for Story in the first place necessarily makes sense for the Rangers, but if they were, I get it. <laughs> then he goes immediately to AJ Alexi, and he's talking about all this velocity. He's talking about how he's started in the minors as a starting pitcher, but that might shift, that he might end up in the bullpen. And something you need to think of there is that just saying, okay, this guy is a prospect, which he is, he's not a huge prospect, but he's a prospect, but just saying he's a prospect and he throws hard doesn't mean, okay, if he ends up in the bullpen, he's a late-inning arm. It means he could be that. It means he could be Wade Davis or whoever. But... It could also mean that he's Jairo Diaz or one of those other late inning relievers that throws hard, can't find the zone, and is a middle reliever at best type. Mm-hmm. So we're already talking about the second piece in this deal being mm-hmm. a potential reliever. And then it just it just continues from there. I mean, yeah. Tyler Phillips, who's already used an option, and he's really profiling as a back-end guy more than anything. He's a command-first guy. Blaine Krim, a short first baseman, with not a whole lot of standout tools in any regard. And it's like, okay, where is the upside here? At least with a deal like like the Cubs and you Darvish. That one was a miss on our model. But all of the prospects they got back there, it was, it was four teenagers or five teenagers or something like that. Yeah. And they were I... all, a couple of them especially were big upside plays where you can see, okay, maybe this isn't, completely perfect value here but they could really hit on one of these guys and 
this could be a huge win for them down the line. Don't yeah. see that at all here with this proposal. No, no. In fact, the Darvish trade ended up once the prospects were, were sort of evalu- reevaluated, that much closer than we first had. It wasn't yeah. a miss. It was just a, it was a, it was an overpay, mm-hmm. but it turned out to be a lot closer. Um, but and that's because those those guys had some some more upside. To your point. Yeah. Okay. So so this one's bad enough. What about the the, the other one? <laughs> so this second one. This gets into, I think, one of these players that we don't see as much anymore, where there's just such a wide gap between public perception yeah. and the numbers, and that's Isaiah Kiner Falefa. So what happens here in these not- in these negotiations is that. Newberg, who's kind of representing the Rangers here, he's he's not saying Kiner Falefa is untouchable, but he's really planning on hanging on to him if he's the Rangers. And okay, fine, that's not that's not an egregious offense here of saying like yeah we'd prefer to keep this guy. But when you're talking for Trevor Story, and you're talking for a player that we have valued at 30.8 million in trade value. Versus Isaiah Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who we have at three point two, <laughs> and you're saying you will not trade one for one straight up if you're the Rangers. That's where we have some issues. Not even to mention the horrible fit that Kiner Falefa would be for the Rockies as the centerpiece of a Trevor Story trade. They're not going to be good before Isaiah Kiner Falefa is a free agent. And even if they are, it'll be in the last year of his deal when he's not that big of an impact player. Because guess what? He's not that much of an impact player right now. Yeah. So, man, this just like, I'm, I'm a little lost for words when it comes to this part. Because, like I said, there just hasn't been a player in recent history, and I'm talking the last couple years, that it seems like has been so crazily overvalued like Kiner Falefa is right now. Okay. So, I have a lot to say about this one. So, the deal is Trevor's story and $4 million for (laughs) Kiner Falefa. So, you're talking, what, 34 and change for three. Um, okay, so Kiner Falefa, I can see a little, if I squint, what the perception's all about. He won a gold glove as a third baseman. He's unusual in the sense that they brought him up. He's, he was playing catcher, then he moved to third, now they moved to short. Like, oh, he's really valuable. He's like, he's a new sort of, you know, Ben Zobristy guy. He can play anywhere. And that's part number one. Part one. Part two is he hit 280. And people value, they see, you know, because we're watching a TV uh, a game on TV. They're always showing the batting average, right? And that's kind of the number one stat you see. And they think he's a good hitter. Okay, but let's look at what he actually has done. In the three years, first of all, he wasn't really a, a, a notable prospect when he was younger. Now he's been in the league for three years. His WRC plus each year is 79, 57, and 93. So he has yet to even be an average major league hitter. His, <clears throat> if you want to talk OPS, he has yet to crack 700 as an OPS. That is league. That is replacement level. He's been in the sixes every single year uh, because he doesn't walk all that much. He's got a 6.1 walk rate uh, thereabouts, and he has no power. Um, so he can, yes, he took a step up in batting average, but even then that only got him to 93, which is still 7% below league average. You want to talk war? <clears throat> 
he was 0.1 war in his first year, negative one. Is sec- I'm looking at F4 here, negative one, and then 0.7 in the, in the shortened season last year. So you could extrapolate and say, okay, it was a little better last year. Yeah. Um, and, and that part of that was uh, higher defensive value. Um, but the projection systems don't like him. Zips projects him for zero. Steamer projects him for 0.3. I'm, I, I don't have Pakoda, but I know they're in the ballpark as well. So like, there's nothing much going on there. If Imagine if he were on a team like the Dodgers, he'd be a bench guy. He'd be one of their utility guys. Um, and even then, I'm not sure he would get all that much playing time. Because he's on uh, a weak team, he's one of these guys that maybe gets a little more attention. Oh, he's not that bad as all the rest of them. So maybe he's worth more than they think. But, but it's not just look at the do your homework folks he's not worth much <clears throat> if if you're the rockies would you trade trevor story straight up for zach mckinstry or <laughs> austin barnes or another one of these kind of multi-positional guys with not a lot else going for them because i sure would not <laughs> and i under i can understand either as a as a reporter as a fan whatever uh, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa's 2020 being exciting. Yeah, he's a, he was a great defensive third baseman. He's got a little speed, a, a little bit of pop, not much at all. Uh, and he hit for batting average, which nobody really does these days. And so, hooray, good job, Isaiah. You had a fun season. You were useful to your team. That doesn't make you worth Trevor's story. No. Plus four million. <laughs> yeah. So, again, we would like to extend an offer to any reporters, any journalists here thinking of some sort of a piece like this or a tweet or whatever, just use our site. It's free. It's free. It's so free. <laughs> We're here to <laughs> help. <laughs> we are literally here to help, and we will do it for free. Yes. We've crunched the and, numbers for you guys. <laughs> yes. And, and it's okay if you deviate from us a little bit. It's okay if you say, well, baseball trade value says this. I disagree a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit more in this direction. That's fine. There is some subjectivity here. There is a margin of error here. However, these two trades do not fall anywhere within that margin of error, nor do they fall anywhere within this realm of reality that we are in in the baseball world. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> so <laughs> if you guys find any more of those particularly egregious trade proposal type articles feel free to send them our way as as painful as we've made this sound we do enjoy it a little bit and (laughs) and we a part of why we exist is so both fans and reporters can be a little bit better than this and so we hope that our existence can can you know maybe maybe erase some of these articles from from the future here All right. And those are fun concept articles, but just yes. wish the journalists would somehow just do a little homework, okay? And that's what we're here for. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I want to be clear with that. I really, really like this idea of, hey, I'm a beat writer who knows my team really well. You're a beat writer who knows your team really well. Obviously, we can't get any officials to, to comment on this, whether it's people from the front office or the players or anything. But we know our teams and their systems fairly well. Let's discuss this. But we're just we we're here. <laughs> you can use us as a tool to kind of guide those discussions and make them stronger and more realistic. Yep. As many other uh, sites and publications do more and more these days. We just pick it yes. on the athletic because they haven't. So we're yes. here to help, <laughs> athletic. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. 
I think that's enough of that for one day. Uh-huh. Let's head into the news really quick. And again, not a whole lot here. There's a, there's a couple of transactions to talk about. And the biggest one by far is the last big free agent is off the board. The Astros picked up Jake Odorizzi as a response to their Framber Valdez injury, as well as that Forrest Whitley injury that you mentioned earlier. So he's going to be jumping into their rotation. It's a two-year deal with a player option. As expected, the the format of this contract, the structure is a little creative so that Houston can dance under the luxury tax. Right now, they're really kissing up against it. If they're going to make any significant additions at the trade deadline, they're going to need to either offload some cash or something. They're going to need some sort of solution there. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's a problem for future Houston. For now, they get Odorizzi, who's going to be a serviceable mid-to-back-end arm for them, replace Valdez fairly well. It's a two-year deal with a player option, guaranteed $23.5 million, structured as a $6 million signing bonus, $6 million in salary in 2021, $5 million in 2022, and a $6.5 million player option for 2023 with a 3.25 buyout, and plenty of escalators uh, based on innings pitched that seem fairly attainable for Odorizzi since he has always been a fairly durable arm, uh, the type to go at least 150, 180 innings, somewhere in that range every year. And so I, I like his chances to make good on this deal at this point in the off season. This was the best he was going to get. And so from his end, I like it. And obviously from the Astros, they needed the arm. They've kind of done, they've really more or less just treaded water this off season. If that we're talking about a team that lost George Springer and that won't have Justin Verlander at all this year after his late season Tommy John last year. So in order to keep up with <laughs> with a similarly treading water division, they needed to make a move or two. They brought back Brantley, brought in Odorizzi, tinkered with their bullpen a little bit. And so they're definitely not the Astros of old, but this move at least helps them kind of keep pace in the West. Yeah. <clears throat> so a couple of points on the value here. Um, a lot of other sort of sites had Odorizzi going for higher value than this, um, something closer to 232 or somewhere in there. Um, we plugged the numbers in our model, and our model says it's worth 23.2 um, against 23.5. So it's really, really close, right on the money there. $300,000 difference. Um, you mentioned the escalators. If he goes up to those, that will increase his performance in the field value area, which mm-hmm. means dull rise sort of step by step accordingly so should it should stay fair um so right now we've got <clears throat> we've got that right you know right at zero so so that's good so it's a fair deal um and Oda Rizzi probably was hoping he would get a little bit more than that but he was coming off a, a, a you know a sort of forgetful year where he got injured I think he only pitched six innings so he um and even though and even though everyone knew that was the case there was always still a little bit of doubt as to whether you know he's as durable as he used to be so um, so he took what he could get. So good for him. I think, and and I'm not sure if you had, um, if you had already started on the model kind of on the back end um, <clears throat> when that trade happened, but I think if you had, we might have had the Odorizzi trade from the Rays to the Twins as a, an underpay, as something of a steal for the Twins. That, that was at least how it felt at the time. And that was obviously pre-baseball trade value, so we know we know how feelings and numbers don't always yeah. match perfectly well. But it felt like a like a really smart move by the Twins. It felt like they really got the better end of that deal, and he was very very good for them for two years. Um, granted, the last year was a little iffy, and that year was after he accepted the qualifying offer. Um, 
there have been some suggesting that maybe he shouldn't have accepted the qualifying offer before 2020. Maybe he should have, that would have been his best chance to get a, one of those larger deals like you were kind of alluding to there. Um, but he didn't. He took the qualifying offer, took the guaranteed money, and then 2020 was really his first bad, like, entirely bad season. He only made four starts. Yeah. I, I believe it was a weird injury, too. It wasn't... Yeah. It was a couple of weird injuries, I think. He was just kind of banged up all year, never really got on the right path, which I think I think we saw with a lot of pitchers last year, just based on how strange the season was and how they all built themselves up to start in March-April then had to shut down and try and find a way to keep themselves ready despite not knowing when they would be back on the mound. And then all of a sudden they're ramping back up and they have like a week of summer camp or whatever. And then they're back on the mound for, for good. So I, I can have some sympathy there. It doesn't erase the fact that he struggled and only made four starts, but I can at least have some sympathy and see that, yeah, he's, he's probably in line for a bounce back. This isn't the beginning of the end for him. Yeah, and you mentioned the the trade from the Rays to the Twins uh, before the 2018 season. They got back a, a minor prospect, um, you know, one of the international guys, Jermaine Palacios, I think it was, um, who no one else really had as a as a major prospect. And I remember um, at the time, um, uh, Neander Eric Neander said, "Oh, we liked him more than others," or it might have been Bloom, I'm not sure which. Um, but that was one of the first trades that I was thinking, "Huh, how did that happen?" Before I sort of conceived the site. Um, looking back, the Twins paid him 6.3. It was one of those things where Odorizzi was getting expensive, I believe, in his last RB year, mm-hmm. um, or close to the last. And so, you know, what that was saying was basically that there wasn't much surplus there. And so they got, you know, if, if the site were around today, it probably would have valued Palacios as like a one or two or somewhere in that neighborhood. In other words, you know, the Rays probably valued him. His fair value might have been like six or seven or eight, somewhere like So that's that's what they got. Now, I don't know that for sure. I'm just guessing. Um, but that's sometimes the, what, what happens with like, oh, that's all they got. You know, once you crunch the numbers, you see there wasn't much surplus there. And that's usually why. So that's my guess what happened there. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting case because uh, before that season, before that 2017 season, he'd established himself as a pretty solid, you know, two win pitcher, two ish win pitcher with a little bit of upside beyond that. But that was kind of what he was. Yeah. And then in 2017, really down year, 414 ERA, 543 FIP, 0.0 wins above replacement according to fan graphs. That's, that, that looks like a non-tender candidate, especially yeah. for a team like the Rays. I don't think he would have been a non-tender candidate on a lot of other teams, just given his track record. And I think he had, yeah, he had two years of control left at that point and probably wasn't set to make, yeah, you said 6.3 million, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's not a ton um, and especially everybody always needs arms and he's willing to give you, he's able to give you 140, 150 bank it. Um, so I, I think, I think for a lot of teams, he wouldn't have been a non-tender candidate, but he might've been one for a more, uh, fiscally strained team like the Rays. And so maybe they were, they were just trying to offload him as best they could, but I, I still smart move by the twins. He had his two, two of his best seasons with them after that trade. Uh, but now he heads to Houston and we'll see what he can do there. Yeah, in fact, it makes me think of Matt Boyd as sort of a current state comparison because um, Boyd is is making about six point something, six point six, I think, this year in his ARB two year. Also coming off a bad year, he was considered maybe a borderline non-tender candidate. Um, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of surplus now, so like that's sort of at the ballpark of where Odi Oder is he was at the time. <clears throat> that's a good comparison. Yeah. Okay, now we just have two really minor moves to go through right here. Uh, we had a trade 
it was really insignificant. The Pirates <laughs> picked up reliever Dwayne Underwood Jr. from the Cubs. He had been DFA'd uh, in exchange for first base prospect Shendrick Apostle. Apostle? We have two prospects named Apostle in Major they're, League Baseball. Yeah, right they're now. brothers. Shirton and, Sen- and Shendrick, which is yeah. phenomenal. Which, which, as an aside, is a, is a quick tangent. Do you know the names of Gregor Blanco's brothers? I don't. I believe one of them is named Gregory, mm. and the other is some other permutation of Greg. Greg. It's <laughs> it's it's a weird weird family there. Well, uh, okay. Yeah, Gregsman. Gregsman is the younger brother. <laughs> I, I love that. So my favorite though is the Marlins prospects are you know the son of there's a Cuban great from years ago named Victor Mesa and his sons are <laughs> Victor Mesa Jr. and Victor Victor. <laughs> so they're all there's three Victor Mesas. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the obvious, the Rugnets Odor. Oh, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Where there's Rugnet Odor and his cousin in the Ranger system, Rugnet Odor, Rugnet his Odor, father yeah. is Rugnet Odor. And... <laughs> and there's George Foreman and all the George Foremans, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fun stuff, but at least these apostles have different, similar names, Shendrick and Shurman, but but yeah. different. Uh, Shendrick is the lesser prospect of the two. Uh, so this is a fair swap here. We have Apostle at 0.2 million in trade value, Underwood at 0.4 um, this is another cheap bullpen acquisition for the Pirates. I, I read an article on The Athletic um, kind of about how their roster is shaping up. And it seems like Dwayne Underwood Jr. actually has uh, a bit of a – he's a bit of a sleeper to be a back-end reliever, potentially closer for them just because of his major league experience in a bullpen that doesn't have much. Mm-hmm. I would think that would be dumb because they have Richard Rodriguez and need to trade him one of these days and should probably just give him all the late-inning opportunities to show teams that he can do it. But that's just me. I'm not following the Pirates particularly closely. Uh, but there, there's at least a little bit of something here. Underwood used to be a bit of a prospect. Um, it, it might be meaningful to some extent that the Pirates are near the top. They might be even at the top of the waiver order. And they're the team that gets Dwayne Underwood Jr. That can sometimes be a little bit telling that he didn't necessarily drop 15 teams down. That one of the first few teams said, yeah, we like this guy. Went ahead and gave up a prospect to get him. But he was DFA'd for a reason. Doesn't have much of a track track record of major league success. Uh, he's 26 now. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he can do in Pittsburgh. But again, I, I preface this trade by saying it's a pretty minor one. And yeah, it is. Yeah. Fair deal. <clears throat> All right. Now, last move of the week. I'm sure I missed something. But uh, this is weird. The Giants signed lefty Jose Alvarez. Uh, one-year, $1.15 million major league contract with a $1.5 million club option for 2022. And it feels like their bullpen is made solely of left-handed pitchers. I feel like <laughs> every couple weeks on this podcast, we come on to mention, oh, the Giants signed this left-handed reliever. Oh, now it's this one. And so I'm, I'm wondering what's going on back there. Uh, apparently, I think it was Sam Salmon who mm-hmm. isn't looking as great. He's one of their younger lefties, and he might be optioned to AAA to start the year. And so that might have been part of the motivation here. Uh, but they're really cornering the market here on, like, average-ish left-handed pitchers in the bullpen. Mm. Yeah, maybe it's something to do with that stadium. Maybe they're trying to get... Maybe, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure. With the three-batter minimum rule, that means they're going to be facing righties. But the weird part of that stadium is right field, not left field. 
as far yeah. as I can remember, so I'm not sure that makes any sense. <clears throat> uh, maybe something weird about Triple's Alley over there, where, hey, righties won't hit it there as often against a lefty, and we don't want anyone hitting it there, or something like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's probably just he's a capable major league arm, and they could use a couple of those, and they don't really care whether they're righties or lefties. They they can flip him for a little bit of something at the trade deadline either way. Yeah, exactly, because he's got a little bit of surplus value, because this is what you get sometimes at the end of the offseason at this point. There's a, oh, there's that guy still laying around, and so we can sign him for peanuts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have his fair value at 4.2, and um, for two years of him, which is, you know, what what they could control, would be 2.7 in, in salary. So there's a little bit of a value there, 1.5. So, yeah, and, it's it's probably all, all that is. And we've seen that a little bit with, with guys like... Uh goodness his name just left my mind the lefty alex claudio him yeah <laughs> yes with where we've seen him go a little bit undervalued a couple years in a row and it's it's weird because it's not like market wide we just saw adam Kolarik get traded to the a's for very fair value uh so it's not something like oh we overreacted to the three batted minimum rule and teams are valuing these loogie types just the same that's not what it is uh, oh. But in some cases, these guys are getting less than our model thinks, and that's something we should probably keep an eye on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, you also have to look at the circumstances in this case. Yeah, it's a, and, yeah the timing here. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's all the news for the week. I hope I didn't miss anything, but I think it was just a very, very slow week. <laughs> yeah. So now we head into the trade of the week from user Big Bubba. And this is actually... This is a little bit more creative, and I don't know if I'd say realistic, but it's a, yeah, I will say realistic. It's a little bit more realistic than uh, some of the deals that we see come through and even discuss as trades of the week. So this is between the Yankees and the Nationals. It has the Nationals acquiring two of the Yankees' kind of fringe, fringe 25-man guys who some Yankees fans a year ago were calling superstars. Some Yankees fans are still calling superstars because... <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it's Mike Talkman, outfielder, $4.2 million in trade value, and Miguel Andujar, who we have as a third baseman, uh, significant air quotes there. <laughs> we, have <his laughs> second, we have his second position listed as DH because, yeah, yeah that's, that's looking a little bit more likely. But he could at least be a decent bench bat fit for the Nationals and uh, potential Carter Keboom insurance. So uh, I understand the fit there. We have him at $2.9 million in trade value. And in exchange... It's three prospects heading back to the Nationals. It's infielder Samuel Infante, third baseman, $2.1 million in trade value. It is, ooh, that's interesting. We have a 0.6 in Steven Fuentes' position <laughs> category. We'll need to fix that. Uh, uh, Steven yeah. Fuentes plays some sort of <clears throat> position, and he's at $1.1 <laughs> million in trade value. And left-handed pitcher Matt Cronin at 3.9. So... This is really just kind of the Yankees shuffling their 40-man here. They're a little bit full right now. I'm not sure if they pulled the trigger on this deal because I think they do really like Talkman. And at this point, you're selling so low on Andujar's value, it might just make more sense to ride it out and see if he can bounce back and regain some of that. Um, so I'm not sure that the Yankees make the make this deal, but I think it makes a lot of sense for the Nationals, who, as I mentioned, they're counting on Carter Keeboom at third base. They could really use a little bit of insurance there. Not not that Andujar is the safest insurance, but he's at least a bat. And their bench is very weak right now. And that's that's been... The last few years, they've had this lineup that 
it's very top heavy. It's had guys like Harper, Soto, Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon over the last few years. Those guys in the top half of the lineup, and that's a pretty formidable. Those, those are some pretty impressive guys to try and get through. And this offseason, they've added Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber, who, regardless of what you think of them, they got some power. That that's some that's at least a little bit intimidating up there, especially if you're a right-handed pitcher. Uh, but then it really falls off at the back end of the lineup, and they've kind of counteracted that by having a slugger on their bench the last couple of years, whether it's Matt Adams or Eric Thames. Uh, but this year, the closest they have to that is Ryan Zimmerman, who missed last season and hasn't been particularly good before then. So they're really missing some of that bench thump, and I think Andy Hart and Talkman will really help them with that. So I really understand this from their perspective. Not sure I'm as on board with it for the Yankees. Well, so I think what prompted this trade, and I agree, is the when the Yankees signed Brett Gardner, who mm-hmm. looks like he's going to be their fourth outfielder, which bumps everybody else down, including Talkman, who... You know, so people think, well, now he's the fifth outfielder. He's a depth guy, but he was just good enough to be like a fourth outfielder, even a, a regular for somebody else. So uh, Yankee fans are saying, what do we do with Talkman? And of course, there's been the perennial question of what the heck are we doing with Andujar? So like this gets rid of to your opening point, two fringy guys that need to find some playing time probably somewhere else. Um, and, and Cashman has been known to do this type of thing and to trade for guys who don't, you know, prospects who don't have any sort of 40 man issues. He can just sort of put them in the system and then they'll mm-hmm. wind their way up. So he's traded away a few of those, like in the Tyone trade. So he could replace them this way a little bit with sort of, you know, low end guys. I will say Cronin, um, there was a little bit of debate in the comments about Cronin because Nationals fans really like him. Apparently he's got quite, quite some upside, particularly as a power reliever. So, you know, maybe even they don't want to make the trade because they don't want to include him. And I mentioned you could swap him out for a guy like Tate uh, or Kate, Tim, sorry, Tim Kate, um, who's similar in value. But, but I also like it for the Nationals because I think you mentioned this because they don't have much of a bench. I mean, they're sort of cobbling together a lineup when they added Bell and Schwarber. But if you look at their bench, um, they've got Gerardo Parra, who barely played last year, and he's an NRI. And they've got Andrew Stevenson, who, former prospect, only got one option year left, hasn't really done a thing. So it's like he could probably upgrade just with those two guys, you know, and put Andrew Steven back in AAA. So I can easily see it from the Nationals' point of view, and I can see it from a sort of a pruning point of view from the Yankees. There's a little something to dream on with Stevenson. He got pretty hot the last couple of weeks of the season, but I don't think there's anything substantial there. There's a reason he hasn't broken out <laughs> to this point, and it's because there's probably there's not a lot of power in that bat he's a bit more contact oriented not an incredible defender he's he's a bench bat that's more or less what he is um i I did look up steven fuentes he's a right-handed pitcher and i've just (laughs) updated that on the site so thanks for that catch brilliant um and then yeah infante really fits the yankees profile pretty well as one of these younger stash candidates where he's not going to need to be on the 40 man for a few years uh cronin Cronin is more, as you mentioned, a guy who could be an impact reliever in the near future, which is also something they need, um, especially with Zach Britton going down with an injury. Now, I don't think Cronin, Cronin is the immediate solution to that. I don't know if he's MLB ready enough to step in on opening day. Um, but that is a position they'll have to address at some point. Britton won't be around forever. So I could see it working there a little bit. Um, but I think I think the Yankees are probably more inclined to just find something to work between Talkman and Garter. I mean... That's an outfield with Judge and Hicks and Stanton. Well, 
potentially an outfield with Stanton, potentially a DH spot with Stanton. But regardless, those are three guys who have not had the healthiest track records. And so having both Gardner and Talkman might be ideal, uh, just as depth for those guys. And there's Clint Frazier, who had a great year in 2020, but was pretty inconsistent before that. And so if he falls off, then maybe one of those guys steps into something of a platoon role with him. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're probably more inclined, unless they do face, and I'm not fully informed on the Yankees 40 man or 26 man, uh, but unless they do face a pressing roster need in the near future, uh, I don't think this is the type of move they make. Okay. But it's creative and I like it. And thank you very much to Big Bubba for the submission there. So now let's head into our final segment of this episode, which is finishing up our main segment of the last episode. And so that was a look at uh, some of the players that didn't get traded this offseason and we think should have. So last week we covered the players that definitely should have been traded, which we had Trevor Story, John Gray, Jorge Soler, and Danny Duffy in that group. The players who probably should have been traded Joey Gallo, Matthew Boyd, Daniel Norris, Adam Frazier, uh, Richard Rodriguez, Stephen Brault, and Whit Merrifield. And so now we have a handful of names that we think either maybe should have been cases that uh, should have been traded where, you know, there's a little bit of a gray area there. There's some special cases in this mix. Um, and then exploratory cases is the way John labeled them, which is some bigger names that teams might have either either were a little bit rumored by maybe not so credible sources or were rumored by credible sources but didn't happen in this offseason and aren't necessarily the guys where it's like, okay, this guy needs to be traded right now. What are you doing? Uh, some of those, the really, really gray area cases where you could see some of these guys get flipped, but you also also shouldn't be too surprised if you don't for a while. So let's, let's go ahead and start with that maybe tier. Um, we aren't going to have enough time to get through every name we have on this list in depth, but we'll at least mention the names that we have here. Um, so the names on this maybe tier are Mitch Haniger, which is a pretty obvious one given his injuries the last few years. It's, it's pretty tough for outside teams to evaluate him until they see him on the field and healthy. Um, we can get into that a little bit, but I think he might be crowded out of the Mariners outfield in the next year or two. Uh, Kyle Seeger, who <laughs> we can get into his status on the team in regards to the Kevin Mather comments. Uh, Trey Mancini, uh, not quite the same case as Haniger, but a little bit similar where he had that he was battling cancer uh, last season and missed the entirety of the 2020 season as a result. And it's not exactly a great look if you're the Orioles to go ahead and trade that guy right when he gets back. But they did try to lowball that same guy in arbitration. So who knows? Uh, and then Salvador Perez, who we've mentioned last week, how the Royals seem to think they're kind of contenders or something. And Perez <laughs> was pretty good for them in 2020. Or so and he's been a lifetime Royal. He's if I had to place bets, he's probably going to be a lifetime Royal. Uh, he just seems like that kind of guy that they're going to stick to no matter what. Even though they could probably get a pretty solid return for him now, given the state of catching across the league. So of those four names, uh, which ones do you want to kind of hammer in on, John? So I think Hanniger is an obvious, uh, you know, case where he was, you know, poor guy went through some pretty hellacious <laughs> injuries, it sounds mm-hmm. like, and had a hard time even coming back from from any you know all of the above so hopefully he's healthy now and i think the market is waiting to be he's obvious trade candidate for the mariners in this stage Mm -hmm. of their their rebuild uh to your point um so just touch on him for a moment i will say to our earlier topic of spring training he's one of these guys where if he shows that he's healthy and productive in spring training and like is fully recovered you know that's 
that could move the needle. I actually I actually see that uh, moving. The needle. And Mancini is another case as well. Same story. He's recovering from cancer. You, if you see these guys kind of getting into a rhythm and getting back to normal and being productive, like you know their old selves, that I think could move the needle because they were sort of on the on the shelf, you know, for a significant amount of the time. So so health and return to health is one way spring training can help with that. Um, you want to comment on that? Yeah, Hanniger's super interesting, and he's had a super interesting career. He was very, very good for the Mariners when he was fully healthy with them. Uh, 2017, that's his first year with the club after they traded for him uh, from the D-backs, and he was kind of the the last piece in that trade. It was really headlined by John Segura, Gene Segura, excuse me, and uh, Taiwan Walker, and uh, th- there was another big piece in that deal, wasn't there? Who am I missing well, Kel- on here? Ketel Marte went the other Ketel way. Ketel Marte, right? that's the biggest one. Yeah. <laughs> um, wasn't at the time of the trade, turned into the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, right. But he was really the, kind of the forgotten throw-in type piece. He was a guy who'd torn up the minor leagues but was a little bit older, didn't really have too much prospect type. But he comes to Seattle, and he's immediately <laughs> killing it. 129 WRC plus over 96 games, 2.5 F4. And then 2018, he proved he could do it over a full season, and it's pretty – it's, I feel pretty comfortable saying that when he's healthy, that's who he is. He's an above-average bat and just an all-around contributor, a good on-base threat, a good power threat, and he can play all three outfield positions. He probably shouldn't. He should probably be more of a corner guy, um, but he's still insanely productive in that war, four-and-a-half wins in 2018. And then 2019 is when the injuries started, and he missed most of that season as well as all of 2020 with some really freak stuff, um, at, at least in the beginning. And I think I think you're 100% right there that, I mean, he's he's 30, which is a little bit older, and teams are going to be dubious about his injury history and what it might say about him and his durability going forward. But he's still very affordable. He's only making $3 million this year. And he's the talent is there for sure. If he shows that he's healthy, I think he's going to be headlining the trade chips, especially because this is a team that has Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez coming up the pipeline. Um, And you can imagine they're going to add to that group and maybe they'll want a younger outfielder or a more proven or durable outfielder than Hanniger alongside those two long-term. So maybe he's not the guy they commit to uh, keeping with those two. And so maybe this is the time they look to move him. Yeah. So, from the Mariners' perspective, they would be selling low, right? So you could, you know, and no one was going to pay any any sort of premium price for Hanneker while he was on the shelf. So mm-hmm. his his trade value used to be sky high, you know, when he was at his peak and he had four years of control left. He was in the 70s, if I remember correctly. Now he's down to, you know, 13. <laughs> so um, and because this is the, the trough of his value. Um, so, again, if he shows he's healthy and productive, I could more more realistically, he's going to be a deadline piece, and then at that point, he'll have a year and change left of control, but it'll still be affordable. You know, his value could even go up a little bit because of the return to health and productivity. So, um, I think their best bet is to wait on him as well. And I would say the same thing about Trey Mancini and the Orioles having come back. I think there's still some question about his health. And again, if he's productive, he could be a deadline piece as well. So they'd be selling low now, and they might be wise to kind of hang on. So I think the story for both of these guys is very similar. You know, wait and see if they can rebuild value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, And then moving on to Kyle Seeger, while we're still in Seattle here. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure he's tradable. I think think you could say he definitely wasn't tradable before, before 2020. Uh, just because of his contract there. He has a, a team option 
for 2022 that turns into a player option if he is traded. And he's he was productive in 2020, so you can see that maybe a team is willing to bet on two more years of him. But I just not I don't know how likely that is. Um, he is already 33, so we're talking about his age 33 season this year, his age 34 season next year, and this is a guy who gets a lot of value from his glove, and that's that's one of the that's one of the parts of parts of a player's profile that ages the worst, <laughs> that ages the the least well. Um, so I'm not sure he is tradable. And Kevin Mather recently, uh, Kevin Mather. Uh, in that whole tirade that went pretty pretty viral in the baseball world, um, he said something about this being about Seager being overpaid and this being his last year with the team probably, even though he does have that club option. Um, so I, I don't expect his time in Seattle to last too much longer, even though Mather is no longer with the team. Uh, you have to imagine those those words, those thoughts came from the organization itself, and not just him. Yeah. Uh, so, so his clock is probably ticking there, as is his clock in general. He's put together a fine Mariners career, but I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank or how much other teams are really going to have interest in him, unless there's some sort of an extenuating circumstance. I could see if a team like the Nationals are really in the hunt, and they're just not getting out of th- anything out of Keyboom, and they can't get Bryant for whatever reason, I could squint and see something happening there, where they're maybe willing to take the risk of his 2022 season to get the benefit of the upgrade in 2021. Uh, but I don't think it's very likely. Yeah. I mean, it, well, first of all, Mather's comments is that he's overpaid and, you know, confirm we have a value of him is negative 8.4, which I think most people think is fair um, for all the, the reasons you mentioned. So, you know, he's not a bad player. We have his field value. So first of all, we have to model him for two years because of that poison pill in his contract that we remembered. So if anybody's going to trade for him, the whole premise of our side is the trade value side, right? So if you're going to trade for him, you're getting him for two years this year and next year. So that's, you'd be owing him $33 million, but he's got field value of roughly 24.6. So he's, he's in the hole about eight. And, but the Mariners um, don't have, have to do that because if they just hold on to this year he's off the books next year so they have a choice of either just sort of writing out this year or you know um if they wanted to get rid of him they'd have to kick in the value difference either by a prospect mm-hmm. or by cash uh they don't want to kick in a prospect because they're a rebuilding team and they need their prospects so you know i'm thinking they just want to write it out you know it might make more sense to just get them off the books after this year and start fresh next year so uh, that's most likely what's going to happen and i imagine you're looking at the back end numbers again there for seager um the site has him listed at negative 9.1 yeah uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that happened again last week. We might need to take a look there and make sure. Okay, uh, I'll make sure those no other down. players yep. are there. Yeah, <laughs> um, just wanted to clarify that for any of the listeners that might be looking and saying, "Hey, that's that's not what he says." Uh, but yeah, those those are all perfectly accurate points there. They will have to eat money to move him, and who knows if they'd rather eat money or just let him walk at the end of this year. It, it seems more likely the latter, because even if they do eat the money to move him, they're probably not getting too much of a prospect in return unless they're eating a lot of money. And at that point, just let him walk and don't pay him in the second year at all. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then the last one here is Sal Perez. I don't think there's a ton to say here that hasn't already been said. Yeah. Uh, he's at, we have him at 10.5 million in trade value because he is a rental his contract does expire after this year. Uh, they have been in extension talks, and I expect them to get something done here and probably 
overpay him. But that's that's an aside. <laughs> um, he was legitimately great last season. And given the quality, or lack thereof, I guess, of MLB catching right now, uh, you would imagine that if he were available, he'd be a pretty hot commodity, and we might have heard a lot about him during the offseason, and we really didn't. So I think that's pretty indicative of Kansas City's plans with him, both short and long term. Yeah, and they would probably have required a huge overpay because they love yeah. him. He's he's just mm-hmm. their guy, right? We talked about this last week. He's their guy. They like to hunt on their guys. And he's a really good one. He's their last, I believe, connection to their last World Series. So um, so he's kind of, you know, very marketable and, you know, good fan favorite. So fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, on paper, but he's not going anywhere. And they've loved him even when he's been bad. The last year was his first OBP over 300 since 2013. <laughs> he went he went 289, 280, 288, 297, 274, 353 on the back of a 375 BABIP, which not sustainable, but there were some yeah. there were some other improvements that were made there, and there, there's reason to believe that he is better than his 2018 before the injury that that cost him 2019. Um, there, there's reason to, to believe that he is a solid catcher, uh, that it wasn't just Babbitt driven, uh, but he doesn't walk at all. He's never walked. He's never going to walk. He's he's primarily glove first, and he he's still that still makes him even if he's glove first with a 110 WRC plus instead of the 162 he had last last season. That makes him one of the better catchers in the game just because of how weak the position is right now. Uh, but you're 100% right there. They're going to ask for way too much for him and not be able to move him because of that and then extend him. Yeah. Okay. Let's move into that more interesting tier here. And we actually spent a little bit more, a little bit longer on that last group uh, than anticipated. So we might need to just gloss over a few guys here. So this is the exploratory cases. These are some of the more exciting names here. Uh, so just going down the list here, Jose Ramirez. There were some trade rumors with the Braves that came, came from a relatively unreliable source, didn't really go anywhere. Anthony Santander, he, along with Mancini, the Orioles were trying to lowball him in arbitration, offer him deferrals. Uh, makes you kind of wonder what their long-term plans are for him, especially since they don't look like they're going to be good anytime soon, and he's kind of in his peak right now. Uh, yeah. Garrett, Coop, Garrett Cooper with with Miami, uh, he he came up this offseason in trade talks. Uh, apparently the A's, Dodgers were a couple of the teams to reach out about him. It's it's weird now that there is no DH in the National League that the Marlins didn't non-tender Jesus Aguilar, and they're going to have both him and Cooper on their opening day roster, it appears, unless there's a move between now and the end of spring training. Uh, they're both pretty first-base-only types. Uh, Gene Segura, who had some trade rumors, he's underwater contract for sure. Carter Keboom, again, there was some speculation about the Nationals moving him to get a, a better third baseman. Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, who kind of go hand-in-hand with the Reds. Uh, we, we extensively covered the Luis Castillo saga this offseason. <laughs> Chris Bryant, who we've talked about plenty, along with Wilson Contreras and Kyle Hendricks. And then Josh Hader, again, we've covered him quite a bit. So where do you want to start with this list? Um, you know, I just wanted to say a moment, take a moment and talk about Anthony Santander because we haven't really touched on him too much. I know we've mm-hmm. kind of covered the other guys quite a bit. Uh, but he had a breakout year. And he became sort of a trade candidate in the rumor mill because, you know, it looks like Baltimore's taking the, the long path towards rebuilding. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're still a couple of years away. And so 
he has value now, sort of. So you could argue that he's not going to be around for when their window opens. So you, they might as well get him at his. This could be his peak value. Um, you know, and we have him, you know, around 20 or so in, in value. And so, so that's not nothing, right? So they could get a couple of decent prospects for him. So um, I think there's a case there. Um, now, granted, they're in no hurry. He could even have another breakout year and go even higher. So that's probably what they're thinking now. But if I were them, I would have I would have considered it. You know, I, you know, a team like the Indians, who's always looking for a quality upgrade and with four years of control, I think he has left. You know, that would have been a significant uh, upgrade for them. So I'm surprised in a way that he didn't get moved like that. Yeah, he's an interesting case when you are just kind of scouting the stat line here. And I know there's so much more that goes into it than that. But the stat line is pretty fascinating here where didn't really do much his first two years in the league. Then last season, he was okay. He was was a league average hitter, hit 20 homers in less than a full season. He was 0.8 wins above replacement. He starts on the Orioles, probably doesn't start on a whole lot of other teams. Then he comes up last year and... Only 37 games, but he was fantastic. 132 mm-hmm. WRC plus, 11 homers in those 37 games. Uh, and that that's all despite a 248 BABIP, which we would expect to regress to the mean at least a little bit here. He he had a 285 BABIP in 2019. That's probably a bit more realistic for him given his bad at ball profile. He's not a guy that walks a ton, but he also doesn't strike out a ton. He's got the power, obviously. He's limited corner outfield only type. He's only 26. So I... It, I think our 20 million in trade value is is pretty accurate there for a guy who didn't have as much prospect type and really only has these 37 games that paint him as an above average player. But I think that's that's a, there's enough there for teams to say that this guy is at least an above average player and to to the point where I agree with you that he probably should be in Cleveland right now <laughs> if not if not maybe Washington or, or another one of these teams that could have used a cost-effective power hitter in the corner outfield spot, maybe maybe for Washington instead of Schwarber. Um, obviously, Washington's farm is pretty weak, so maybe that that comes yeah. into consideration there. Um, but yeah, it, it, he, he seems likely, if he keeps this up to any extent, he seems likely to be uh, one of the more sought-after outfielders at the trade deadline. Yeah, if they're willing to move him there. Uh, we talked about Joey Gallo last week. I would imagine similar teams who are looking at Gallo might be looking at him. Um, they're comparable in trade value as well. So, yeah, a team like the Indians, if they're in it, and could use some, up, you know, an upgrade in the offense. Um, yeah, that's that's, you know, that's something to look at. So, um, but the Cooper story, I, I don't yeah. understand why he's still on on the Marlins. You know, because um, how are they going to play both those guys? They're both first basemen. There's no DH. Uh, you know, and I guess they can put him in a corner, um, but they also have other guys that want to play. So. It's hard to see. He's a square peg in a round hole right there. And, uh, you know, maybe they didn't get any, you know, everyone else in the market knows that they don't have a whole lot of leverage. So maybe they lowballed, you know, the teams that were, just, were sort of thinking, hey, maybe we can get a steal here. That's what I suspect. And they thought, no, let's not give him away for free. So because he's got some pop and some value. So uh, they're going to make it work, I guess. Yeah, he and Aguilar really split time between first base and DH with the Marlins last year, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting that it seems like it seems like every National League team operated under the assumption early in the offseason that, that there would be no DH. 
just because that's that's the safest way to operate. And you can say like, yeah, maybe maybe the Nationals thought there might be a DH, and that's why they got Schwarber and Bell. Uh, but but for the most part, it seems like like these teams weren't offering Nelson Cruz a contract. Mm-hmm. But the Marlins decided to tender Jesus Aguilar, and I get it. He was an above-average hitter for them last season. He really only he's been an above-average hitter almost every year of his career except for 2019, which is looking more like the outlier after last season. Uh, so so I understand it. He's a good hitter, and he was he's not making that much. He's making 4.35 million. But on a roster that already has Garrett Cooper, and they seem like they're really, really high on Garrett Cooper, uh, from from what I can tell from Craig Nish's reporting, they, they just seem like they love the guy, and I don't necessarily know why. <laughs> he, he's 30 and doesn't have a whole lot of Major League experience, although he has been a pretty solid power hitter in his limited Major League experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and, and if you're going to choose between the two, the choice is Cooper for sure. Uh, just given team control and w- where this team, what this team is looking like, where they're not necessarily going to contend too heavily in 2021, might be looking more at 2022, 2023. But even even then, this guy's 30, so I'm I agree. I'm surprised they haven't moved him. There's not a whole lot of room for him in the corner outfield spots between some of their younger players and Corey Dickerson and Adam Duvall. Mm-hmm. So and he's not a great corner outfield defender anyway. So this is, and I believe I mentioned it either last week or the week before, that this is the one move that I could, the one significant move that I could see happening before spring training ends is either uh, either Cooper or Aguilar, most likely Cooper since he has the higher trade value, finding a new home. Yeah, and maybe the Marlins are just playing coy and waiting for an injury to an American League team that could use him mm-hmm. in particular, is either a DH or maybe not necessarily an American League team or maybe a first baseman that goes down with an injury. Maybe they're just sort of waiting to play that out. I can see that happening. Yeah, and that, that gets to it being kind of weird that the A's and Dodgers <laughs> were interested in him. Uh, those are two teams, and we obviously don't know when they were interested in him. It could have been when they had when their rosters were in various different states than they are in now, and they might have used him. So maybe there's something with uh, the Dodgers add Cooper and shift Muncie over to third base if they hadn't brought back Turner or something like that, or the A's bring in Cooper and use him as a DH and don't sign Mitch Moreland or trade Mark Canna or something like that. You could you could see yeah. something working there. Uh, that's that some stage of the offseason, but it's still not a great fit. And I think that's because there aren't a whole lot of great fits in the American League right now, at least for a DH. I think the one that you can really look at is Chicago, the White Sox, and they don't really want anybody that's going to block the position because they have Andrew Vaughn, who looks like he's major league ready right now. And between him and Jose Abreu, one of those two guys is going to have to play DH. Right. And in the, in the meantime, they might as well hide Eloy Jimenez there since he's kind of an adventure out in left field. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if their market's going to be great for Cooper. I could honestly see them either finding a smaller deal or, potentially DFAing Aguilar. I don't know. That doesn't sound right, given yeah. that they just decided to hang on to him. It's it's one of the weirder position situations in baseball right now, and I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, and again, I think all, all I can figure is they're wait, waiting out and seeing if there's going to be an injury so they can move one of them. <clears throat> so right. for the... For the rest of the list, I would say, you know, the let's focus on the NL Central because it's really mm-hmm. Cubs and Reds and Brewers, <laughs> you know, and yeah, 
and I'll, I'll, I'll chime in first here. So they were all kind of wishy-washy and on the fence, will they or won't they? You know, the Cubs were like, oh, they're having a fire sale. Wait, no, they're not. Like, they traded Darvish, and everyone thought, okay, they're trading Bryant, and they're trading Contreras. And, uh, but then they said, no, actually, we found some budget. Like, uh, you know, all of this is related to the pandemic, and now you're hearing news that they can have fans in the stands to varying degrees in, in, in various places. And so they're thinking, okay, we can start to make some revenue again. So maybe our budget's not as bad as we first thought it to be in the offseason. So the Reds were looking to move because they got hurt. They got killed from the pandemic and no fans in the stands last year. So they were trying to move their underwater contracts by attaching them to a, a guy who has positive value like Castillo or Gray. But they didn't do that because um, they didn't get the right deal. Everyone knew that that's what they were doing. And so maybe they're just going to sort of say, OK, let's 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 play it out. and Let's see what we got. Cubs are doing the same thing. Uh, Brewers, you couldn't figure out what they were doing. For, for a while and now they've just sent Jackie Bradley Jr. which was a win now move they were thinking about trading Hater, but they didn't so now they're like okay now they're so now all three of those teams you weren't sure if they were trying to win or not now they seem to settle into at least let's try as a plan and maybe revisit things at the deadline so uh, all of yeah. these guys that were in the rumor mill I think they're sitting for now <clears throat> yeah the, that whole NL Central is so up in the air outside of Pittsburgh that it really doesn't make any sense at this point in the offseason when you've already built a whole rest of your team to make any moves that being said I can't really pin down the Cubs I don't know what their plan is um, if things don't go well obviously if things do go well they're keeping everybody adding some fringe pieces and making one last ride here with Bryant, Baez and Rizzo mm-hmm. but if things don't go well, it, because it doesn't seem like there's any chance, and I could be wrong here, they, they haven't necessarily, as far as I've seen, come out and said that there's no chance, but I'd be shocked if they traded Baez or Rizzo. Th- those guys have not come up in any trade rumors. Rizzo might even have 10-5 rights now that I think about it, um, which is which is the ability to block a trade anywhere if you'd like to. Uh, but those two guys just seem like the pieces that the Cubs want to retain. Rizzo especially, because he's been there forever, and he's the kind of guy where even if the team does kind of head into another retool, rebuild, whatever, uh, he seems like the kind of guy that you can say, like, he's not going to command this $200 million contract. We can keep him on board and still rebuild. Uh, where Baez might be a little bit more of a stretch there, depending on how he performs in 2021. But still with him, he seems like a guy that they really like and aren't necessarily entertaining trade offers on. So that leads you to wonder, what is the plan then? Because I don't think the team's going to trade Bryant, Contreras, and Hendricks and then turn around and these players are going to say, yeah, we'll sign on long-term to stick around with this team of uh, Zach Davies and David Bodie and whoever else is still around. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily likely but it's also it would also be a weird look if they extended those guys and then traded Bryant and Contreras and Hendrick I, I don't know how to gauge and I, th- I don't know if they necessarily know either I think they are going to 100% just play it by ear this season and see I, I mean I think Bryant's at the top of the list there because they've probably they won't say they've given up on extending him but realistically it's probably not happening just given yeah. what the team's financials are and the kind of the relationship between Bryant and the team on a financial level. Uh, so I, I think he's he's a top candidate. Either he's traded or they let him walk and take the pick, as we've discussed before. Uh, Contreras and Hendricks, they have a couple years to decide on. But the, the direction of that team is they could control the trade deadline 100% if they chose to do so. 
and it could really jumpstart their rebuild because I'm not sure how many of those pieces, if any, are going to be a part of the next good Cubs team. Yeah, no. So, all right. Here's how I see it. At the beginning of the offseason, I think they were in 100% clear rebuild mm-hmm. mode. And so they started, you know, remember Theo Epstein left and it was, you know, the writing was on the wall. Like, ah, I don't want to be part of the rebuild. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hoyer, they, he left it in Jed Hoyer's hands. And, you know, it was clear that Hoyer was going to be the guy to make all the, all the decisions. And they started by trading Darvish because uh, they wanted to save money. Um, and they got some younger, we talked about this, younger prospects back who have a longer timeline. So, so they're looking for upside. So that was the, the MO. It, but then something changed, like I said, once the pandemic sort of started to become a little clearer when they could have fans back in the stands. And I think the ownership uh, said, okay, actually, wait, don't, don't do a fire sale. Let's give it one more shot. You know, because the NL Central is winnable. Nobody seems to want to win it. Maybe the Cardinals do. But otherwise, it's good. They've got a shot. Um, so um let's hold on for one more year so i think now they're in sort of that mode like okay one more shot and then we'll we'll fire sale it so (laughs) i think that's what's going on so bryant is i think everyone knows he's that's his last year there um if they're out of it the deadline he's gone um bias i'm not sure if they're gonna extend or not because he's he's got some conflicting sort of pros and cons there um rizzo to your point maybe one of those guys he's just a lifer but you know hendrix i think they would trade uh, Contreras, I, they were shopping him. I think they would trade him. Um, so um, even a guy like Ian Happ, I think, you know, because they're probably going younger and thinking more long term. Um, so whoever's got value, I think, will be gone if they're out of it. If not, it'll be at the end of the year next off season. Yeah, it, I think now that I rethink about it a little bit more and hearing kind of what you have to say about it, um, maybe what happens here is they see how Bryant does. And if he's playing well in, at the deadline and the team is out of it or just doesn't doesn't feel good about their chances, then maybe they trade him. They feel they can get a decent return for him, whether it's eating a little bit of the contract, whatever. Maybe they trade him at that point. If not, they let him walk, take the qualifying offer. Um, and then maybe the offseason. I, I think Contreras is more of an offseason move. We hear about it a lot that teams don't love to trade for catchers at the deadline it still happens every now and then but it's not as common because Mm -hmm. you know catcher has to jump in and learn the pitching staff while Mm -hmm. he's thrown into on the offensive side and the defensive side he's thrown into playoff caliber game like uh, games with postseason implications and so that could be challenging Uh, a lot of teams like to have their catchers go through spring training with them so maybe he's more of an offseason candidate he does have two years of control so that's that's a possibility there and then Hendricks as well with multiple pe- multiple years of control um, he'd command a haul at the deadline mm-hmm. and, and maybe there is a team like the Yankees where they're if they're pitching experiment here with these kind of in post-injury guys in Kluber and Tyone and uh, Domingo Herman coming off the suspension if that doesn't pan out entirely, then maybe Hendricks is a fit there, and maybe mm-hmm. they will pay the price for him. But if not, then maybe he is the kind of guy that's easier to move next offseason when his value is a little bit lower and teams are more willing to meet that price. So mm-hmm. it could just be a holding pattern for almost all of these guys except Bryant. While they tr- still try to explore extensions for Rizzo and Baez, uh, maybe that is the most realistic outcome here. But either way, they're in... They, uh, I, I still stand by my earlier statement. They could control the trade deadline here. Yeah, yeah, they've got they've got the goods. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, touching really quickly on the Reds here, um, 
I think their time as far as Luis Castillo seems to have passed. If they're comfortable going into this into this season with Castellanos Mustakas on their on their payroll, uh, then it, it seems like they're just going to ride those out a little bit. Um, and and you, you would expect that next offseason their finances aren't looking quite as dire because it will be a full 162 this year. They'll probably have some level of fans in the stands to start the year and maybe full by the end of the year. Or maybe they get full sooner than that. Texas looking at you. <laughs> um, but re- regardless, it's a team that counts a lot on gate revenue, and they're expected to have some of that come back this offseason. And really, that was the main impetus to I- exploring Castillo trade rumors was offloading one of those contracts. They weren't just looking to fire sale, tear it down, let's get prospects for this guy. It was, we're going to explore some options here that would offload a contract and get us some talent back, and this is the best way to do it. So... I think his name's going to be talked about because everybody wants the guy, uh, but I don't think it's going to be seriously entertained by the Reds. Sonny Gray, on the other hand, if the team isn't performing, that's more likely. He's older, he's making more money, and he could really help a team down the stretch, so I can see that one. But Castillo seems like he's staying put for now. Yeah, and this is not a situation where they're, um, uh, just like Theo Epstein left the Cubs, uh, Dick Williams left the Reds, Mm -hmm. uh, because I think he was... I, I don't want to read between the lines or speculate, but but uh, it was interesting that um, he left them in the hands of like, are they going to rebuild and kind of you know um, clear the decks, or are they going to still go for it? So I think they were wishy-washy at the time. I think it was what's been very clear in their off season is that they didn't have any money to spend, and they're the only team that doesn't have a shortstop. So they're making do with what they've got. They were trying to offload money. They were. I, I should have added, added Eugenio Suarez, who was also with the rumor mill as well. But he didn't get moved. So I think they've been wishy-washy, and I think they're going to be, okay, we're, we we made the investment these guys, and El Central still could be winnable. Okay, let's let's just play it out and see how it goes. Um, so much like the Cubs are doing. And they do have some pieces if they do want to move them. I will say, you know, their farm is slightly better than the Reds. Just I mean, the Cubs, just a little bit. But they could certainly use, you know, an injection of talent that some of these guys would bring, whether it's Suarez, whether it's... You know, certainly Castillo would bring a huge haul, much more, as we know, his value is in the hundreds. Um, so um, that would be one way to kind of, you know, really spearhead the next wave if they wanted to. So, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we call it, any last thoughts you want to add on Gene Segura and Jose Ramirez? Um, <clears throat> I don't think Ramirez is moving because I think the, the Indians mm-hmm. have that great pitching staff, even after trading a couple of pitchers, they've still got, you know, Bieber and please act and others. So I, I think they want to be competitive. The AL central, I think they, they, you know, they compete with white Sox and twins. So um, they need Ramirez there. I don't think, I don't think he's going to move quite yet. Um, Gene Segura, you know, we've talked about the Phillies and Dombrowski. Um, his contract is underwater. I think they're going to stick with him because nobody else can really find a place for him. He's a second baseman at this point. He's not a shortstop anymore. We know the second baseman market is terrible. So, like, there's nowhere to move him. So they might as well just stick with him. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think, that, I think yeah. that's why those guys haven't moved. Yeah, and Jose Ramirez falls squarely into that category that we've talked about before where he might be too valuable to move. Mm-hmm. At 81.3, you're going to be hard-pressed to find too much of a market of teams that can match that price. And, and even so, then, even then, the Indians would want an overpay. So yes. a lot of our a lot of our users are like, oh, he's in the 90s or 100s with with the package they get, and I wouldn't be surprised by that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to that point, it's it's hard to make a deal for him. 
so yeah, so maybe it is more likely in the off season, next off season, I should say, when he's more in that like fifty-ish million range, if if he mm-hmm. continues at his current trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it, it's still a haul that you're getting back for him, and it's still going to completely reshape Cleveland, and they have a pretty strong farm coming up. Uh, so it is the kind of thing that could set them up for the next wave of contention, but not yet. Right now, it doesn't yeah. necessarily make the most sense. Yeah. All right. So we managed to cram a ton <laughs> into our into our usual hour and a half. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pat us on the back for that. For, since, since we we tend to run a little long, and this time <laughs> we fit it right in under our goal, well, right, right around our goal, <laughs> and got to a whole lot of content. So I think that's a that's a solid day's work for us. Yay for us. all right so that'll do it for this week thank you all so much for listening if you have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on twitter at baseballvalues and as we mentioned earlier in this episode if you have any feedback positive or negative on the site updates please please do reach out to us we would love to hear from you also be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode We'll be back next week to break down more off-season news and updates, as well as any spring training updates we have. So until then, stay safe and enjoy spring training. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.